Sentire Media. Hello everyone and welcome to A History of Italy. Fill in episode. Now, you may be wondering what this fill-in episode business is all about. Well, to be completely honest, it's a dirty, rotten trick. I'm a bit behind in my studies due to holidays, and then I got back and there's this continued conspiracy according to which nobody wants to give me stuff free and I have to work and get money to pay for stuff. It's completely unfair. Anyway... What I mean to say is the holiday and work has accumulated a little bit so so it may be another week or two before I'm able to come up with an episode. I got a big translation that was sitting there waiting for me happily when I got back from the holiday. So what are we going to do with this episode? Well, first of all, I'm going to tell you something about the region I recently visited, the beautiful region of Puglia. Then I'll use the time to address some questions and considerations from listeners. How does that sound, eh? I really apologize for the delay. The enthusiasm hasn't waned in the least. Indeed, I would love to podcast instead of work, but you know how it goes. So, Puglia is one of the southernmost regions of the Italian peninsula. If you think of the typical Italian boot, Puglia is the heel. We in particular visited the area of Salento, which is the very, very lowest part of the hill. We were actually in the, what you could consider the instep, the inner side on the Ionio, on the Ionic side of the peninsula. Now, I don't want to detract anything from the Caribbean or Caribbean or however you may pronounce it, and I've never even visited the Maldives, but the water in Salento is like a swimming pool crystal clear with white sandy beaches. But that's not the only reason to visit Puglia. The history there is incredible. We've been banging on and on about the Normans recently and as you know the Normans were considered dukes of Calabria and Puglia and Bari in particular was a very important center for them. Brindisi was a very important Roman town It was a starting point for many invasions of Illyria. Otranto is remembered as being the setting for one of the very first Gothic novels, The Castle of O, which is for you literature lovers. Perhaps the most recognizable characteristic of the area are the various Saracen towers that you can find every couple of kilometers all the way along the coastline. The objective of these towers is well, in its name, to defend from Saracen raids, from the Muslim raids, coming first from North Africa and later when the Arabs took Sicily from Sicily and Sardinia and Corsica. The towers that you can see in the area today are of a more recent construction. In particular, a big impulse in the area to building towers and castles came after the year 1480, with the Martyrs of Otranto, an event that occurred when the city of Otranto fell to the Turkish invaders and 
refusing to convert to Islam, 813 inhabitants of the city were beheaded. To this day, if you visit Otranto, you can see the skeletons of these over 800 martyrs. This started off the construction of the various towers, and if you're a fan of British history, or let's say English history, and you remember the Burr system invented by Alfred the Great against the Viking invaders, you'll recognize the tower system. One tower would spot an incoming raiding party and light the fire on top of the tower. The nearest towers would see the fires and light theirs, so that all along the coastline, people would soon know that the Saracens were coming, the Turks were coming. Then, riders would start from the coastline and warn all of the inhabitants inland, who, not being able to reach the towers, would seek refuge in what were called masserie, small fortified mansions, you could say, inland, where people in the surrounding area could seek protection. This also gave rise to the building inland of important castles, such as that of Corigliano d'Otranto, as well as the coastline castles, for example, of Gallipoli and Otranto itself. With the defeat of the Muslims at the famous Battle of Lepanto in 1571, the need for defence became less, so many of the castles then became stately homes for the local nobles, and in the 17th and 18th century, were transformed according to this new use. The inland Masseria also became mansions, and today you can actually visit some of them because they've been turned into bed and breakfast and restaurants. With regard to food, Puglia is amazing. You must try a burrata, which I believe you can also get, for example, in the United States in England, but it's not quite the same thing as the local stuff. It's sort of like a mozzarella, but when you open it up, it sort of flops onto your plate with this lovely, milky goodness. Stracciatella is another form of sort of mozzarella-style cheese, and obviously the seafood in the area is absolutely amazing. Now, I really, obviously, strongly recommend visiting Puglia. You can fly down to Bari, which is at the very top of the region, or even Brindisi, although I'm not sure about direct flights from, for example, the United States or other areas in Europe. Obviously, if you've never visited Italy, I usually recommend visiting what I call the top three cities, i.e. Rome, Florence and Venice. Then, after that, if you've still got time, there are plenty of others, obviously. Verona, Turin, Mantua and so on and so forth. However, if you do fancy a great mix of lovely crystal clear waters and some great history, Puglia is the perfect place. Although avoid July and August because it's a big mess. The cities to see in the area would be Gallipoli, Corigliano d'Otranto, Otranto itself and Lecce, which is a a beautiful artistic city with poems and drawings graffitied on the walls, stands with local artwork and craft work. Really definitely worth a visit. While you're there, grab a cold coffee with almond milk, the local specialty. Well, that was our trip to Puglia. 
Now let's have a look at a couple of questions and considerations from listeners. I've just mentioned Venice. A recent Patreon supporter, reactionary Venetian, when I asked what sort of things he or he or she would like to listen to, mentioned Venice, Venice, Venice. So he or she will be very pleased to know that very soon. I'll be doing a little bit of a section on Venice because although it has been bubbling up there in the northeastern corner for a while, it's really going to take center stage very soon. So I would say we've got to close up the whole Roman Republic thing. Then we have to take a look at Frederick Barbarossa. So I'd say that will be about three or four episodes. But after that, we're probably getting round to looking. A bit more in depth into Venice and perhaps the other maritime republics, Genoa, Pisa, and maybe Amalfi. In other news, on the website, on the blog, I received a comment or a consideration, which is quite short but、uh, very well put. So I can read it to you in full and then、uh, give you some considerations. So it says. Regarding Matilda of Canossa and her relationship with the city of Mantua, says the Mantua people stood by Matilda until the so-called Holy Thursday betrayal, when the townspeople, won over by additional concessions from Henry, who had meanwhile besieged the city, sided with him. In 1092, Matilda escaped to the Reggiano Apennines and her most inexpugnable strongholds. Since the times of Adalbert Atto, the power in the Canossa family had been based in a network of castles, fortresses, and fortified villages in the Valdensa, forming a complex polygonal defence that had always resisted all attacks from the Apennines. After several bloody battles with mutual defeats, the powerful imperial army was surrounded. So, first of all, thank you very much for that. It was from a blog market insight. I don't know if that was a person or automatized or anyway. It allows us some interesting consideration. First of all, when we say the Mantua people, it's a bit hard to use that generic term. We have seen when we talked about the communes that within a city there were many different and very often conflicting groups, points of views, and factions. So it's very difficult to identify the Mantua people or the Milanese people as a whole unified people. You'll never get to the end of it. Then the fortresses of Matilda stretched from the Valdenza, which is correct, but also through the Reggio Emilia Apennines and into the Modena Apennines. So not only the area of the Valdenza, but also the area of the Val Secchia, Val Dozzola. And other rivers in the general area. This allows me to remind you that I am part of the Matilda of Tuscany International Association, the Ami Mia Associazione Matilde di Canossa, Matilda of Tuscany International Association, and this year's study roundtable will be on the relationship between Matilda and her cities. So some interesting things should be coming out of that. The next listener question 
takes us back a little bit, all the way to those fun, funky Lombards. And uh, the question is from Ido Patish. Uh, forgive me if I've mispronounced the name. So the question is, is there any general reason for why the Lombards didn't manage to hold Italy compared to the Franks that succeeded in doing it with France? By general reason, I mean something bigger than this war or that rebellion, like some kind of cultural or mental behavior of the Lombards. Thanks. So the answer is a bit long. I'll try and give a short version. So thank you, Ida, for allowing us to go back to our good old friends, the Lombards. And basically, yes, I mean, I suppose you could say the general cultural region is a pre-existing lack of unity in the Lombards. Before they even entered Italy, they were divided into a series of tribal groups called Fare, one Fara, two Fare. And the king that entered Italy, Alboin, was only actually the second king in their history to unite them. They were more of a, a group of uh, tribal groups moving. And once they were in Italy, uh, the various dukes took hold of various cities, starting from Civitate in the northeast, and basically went off doing their own thing. I mean, we saw that dukes would side with the king sometimes, sometimes against him. Uh, the dukes of Spoleto and Benevento lasted beyond the fall of the northern Lombard Empire. And there was even a period shortly after entering Italy when, for about 10 years, they did without a king completely. So that would be a first thing to point to, their general lack of unity. If you add to that the fact that they weren't able to take all of Italy, particularly the coastal areas held for a long time by the Byzantine Empire, and you must never forget, in all of Italian history, the important presence of the Papal States, which historically would always be against any attempt at unifying the Palincia, all the way until 1870, when a newly unified Italian kingdom had to force Rome into the new kingdom. This also allows me to mention that recently I have done a crossover episode with Steve Guerra from the History of the Papacy podcast, and as soon as Steve releases that, I'll also be releasing it on this feed. So, once again, I apologize for the fill-in episode. It's a bit like when, on a television show, they run out of ideas and start doing clip shows. Forgive me, I am working on new material, although it may require one or perhaps two more fill-in episodes. So, if you do have any questions, any considerations, anything you'd like to hear about in this momentary pause, please do write in, as usual, hello at ahistoryofitaly.com, you can get a hold of us on Twitter at ahistoryofitaly.com or go over to the Facebook page. For now, thanks very much to everyone for listening and until next time, arrivederci. Sentire Media 
podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentiri Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.